Jonathan Dodson is the lead pastor of City Life Church in Austin, Texas. He's also the author of the book, The Believable Gospel. And we're talking about mission in North America or mission in a post-Christian society. Uh, Jonathan, thank you for joining us here. Yeah, my pleasure. Would you uh, set, up, set up this topic for us? Uh, for some people, it may, be, it may be strange to think about North America uh, or the United States being a place for missions-like thinking, for missionary-type thinking. Would you put that together for us? Yeah. Well, it pro- that's probably because we thought of mission as a department of the church or a international phenomenon and not a domestic phenomenon for so long, or as a mission being uh, something that characterizes every Christian. Right? So we kind of outsourced it to the missionary elite, and I think we're recovering that sense of everyone has been sent by God. God sent, uh, God the Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit, gave His commission to go and make disciples, said wait for the Spirit to come. Forty days, then the Spirit came and the church was on the mission. So I think we're, we're recovering that sense of we're joining the, the, the triune God in His mission in the world as the church, as a community of missionaries. So <clears throat> that's obviously more acute now that uh, America is becoming more secularized. Um, saw a Pew Foundation uh, report this week that 74% of uh, people in the United States think that uh, religion isn't playing enough role in politics, um, that it's, um, it's, it's just declined. It doesn't inform um, the way that we run our country. Um, so I think there is a, a kind of a ideological awareness with secularism, um, uh, with less church attendance, you know, with um, uh, the rise of, uh, small rise of atheism is kind of exaggerated. But um, so I think there is a growing kind of cultural sense. There's certainly a theological sense with the Trinity and a biblical commission to be missionaries. And so um, I think it is important that we begin to think and learn from people in the West, uh, uh, you know, in uh, secularized countries. Um, how are they engaging the, the secular landscape? How are they communicating the gospel in a believable way uh, where cr- Christianity is not just declined, it's virtually absent, you know, like Western Europe. So <clears throat> when I moved to Austin, um, I began to think like a missionary. Um, I spent time in Southeast Asia and Burma and Laos and Thailand uh, trying to figure out how they thought, what their beliefs were, where they gathered, and how that informed their view of the gospel. So I moved to Austin, Texas, um, weird city, uh, 76% of people in the urban core don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Our mascot for years was uh, Leslie Cochran, uh, a homeless guy with a beard, a boob job, and a tutu. So uh, crazy city, weird city, uh, anything goes, you know. And um, there's uh, some missiologists that have written in Europe about uh, resistant peoples. And as I looked at Austin, uh, I realized it's a resistant city. It wasn't just a de-churched or unchurched city. It was resistant to the gospel. And there are pockets of resistance all over the country. And a lot of times in cities, there's this kind of counterculture resistance, right? So <clears throat> these missiologists say, um, you need to figure out why they're resistant. Don't just write them off oh, theologically and, and just hand them over to the sovereignty of God. Be responsible and figure out why are people rejecting the gospel. And uh, this missiologist recommended, there are four or five lenses. There's political reasons people reject the gospel or are resistant to it. There are cultural reasons. There are theological reasons. There are ethnic reasons. So I tried to take that and look at Austin and go, through that grid, why are you guys resisting the gospel? And I would ask them, hey, I'm here to plant a church. You know, what do you think about church? Oh, we don't need any more churches. Here's why. And as as they began to explain why, 
they believed that Christianity equaled republicanism. It's a, de it's a democratic uh, city, it's very progressive. So, well, I thought to myself, well, the Bible doesn't say that Christian equals republicanism. So we can deal with that defeater in your mind. Let's talk about what the Bible, well, the Bible is about Christ. Um, it's not about politics. Uh, so let's look at Christ together. It's okay, you can be a Christian and, and hold different political views. Um, what, you, what you need to reckon with is, is who the person of Christ is and what he's done. So look, taking these different areas, you know, po politics, uh, found people thought, oh, to be Christian is to be anti-environmental. You don't care about the environment. Uh, you don't care about, uh, you know, uh, recycling. You don't care about, uh, you know, um, the, the green belts that are all over the city, you know, kind of making a green city. And, uh, oh, man, I've got a huge theology for the environment. It's called a new creation. <laughs> you know, the future is a garden temple city. Like, this is what God is doing. It's his grand project. Oh, well, let me tell you about this story. Uh, that Actually, as a Christian, I really care. I wrote, a, I wrote an article in the local newspaper about how uh, new creation motivates environmentalism. And, uh, you know, so uh, I think as missionaries, and that might all sound too sophisticated, I think we just need to look and listen to people and ask, why don't you believe the gospel? And really ask them, like, what objections do you have? What concerns do you have? What keeps you from church? That was a question I'd often ask. You know, why don't you ever go to church, you know, if I found out they weren't church-going people? Um, I actually tried to keep notes and keep the top 10 reasons people didn't believe the gospel and the top 10 reasons people didn't go to church. Like, as Christians in a city who care about the lostness of the city and the, you know, we need to know. Like, what is, you know, nothing, we preach nothing but Christ crucified, then everything else can get moved out in front of it. Let's take all the obstacles in front of Christ crucified. Politics, you know, pet, pet views on the millennium, uh, you know, morality. Let's move it all out and make it a naked come to Christ and Christ crucified. And the only way to do that is to figure out the obstacles that people have. To figure out the objections that they have in their hearts and their mind. And, um, and so that's what, what I've tried to do in Austin in a kind of increasingly post-Christian city, you know, and uh, it's been helpful for preaching, discipling, counseling, all kinds of stuff. And one difference maybe with a, a pre-Christian and a post-Christian situation is uh, perhaps the amount of questions that need to be asked, the amount of listening that needs, yeah. to, be, that needs to happen, because yeah. your gospel spiel is not the first gospel they've heard. It's not the first yes. word they've heard about Jesus or the church. They have these preconceived yes. notions. Yes. So asking questions, listening well, yeah. that seems like the accent's got to be there. Yeah, it's very important. Um, they've heard the party line. They've met Christians that are just trying to clear their conscience and get Jesus off their chest, and they don't want anything to do with it. You know, an urbanite can smell a bait and switch a mile away, and uh, Christians who just kind of warm up to you so they can drop the gospel on you, it's not attractive. You don't feel loved. And so I've found like the long relational road of knowing people, understanding them is really important. Now the results are up to God, you know, whether they respond in faith or not, and, and when they respond in faith. But uh, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I've got to follow them right into the mess of people's lives, into their objections, their struggles, right? And it's, it, there's not a convenient discipleship that just says, you know, just, just name drop Jesus and you're good. <laughs> Tell them that there was this guy that died on the cross in the first century. Well, what, how is, why is that mean, meaningful to me? Like this criminal in the first century, why, why would, you know, the, we're losing the vocabulary of Christianity. And even if people know what sin, Christ, and faith mean, they filled it with different things, you know. 
sin is being good, maybe uh, not being good, you know. Uh, Christ is moral guy or good example or philosopher. Faith is wishful thinking. I don't want anything to do with that. I have a, I have a head on my shoulders. So we got to, oh, no, well, actually, faith is thinking, feeling, acting. It's a whole thing. You know, so uh, we just can't assume uh, the vocabulary of Christianity anymore. We get to climb into people's lives and figure out what they really think about the gospel. Move the obstacles away and give them a Jesus Christ as Lord, Christ and Him crucified, and show the relevance for it in their lives. So our asking questions, our listening then, is not just going to win us the right to speak or the chance to speak, but it's also going to inform what we say, like how we present it, yes. uh, in what categories we communicate the gospel yeah. that then presses especially to the person yeah. we're communicating it to. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I think of a couple that I was getting to know. Uh, you know, evangelism is always a community project. So uh, someone comes to faith and you're maybe at the front lines. There's been a lot of other people, a lot of other touches. And uh, we find that true in our, in, our, in our church. But I was spending time with a couple um, who had been uh, seeking. She was a seeker. Um, uh, she's all tatted up, really creative uh, girl, uh, hairdresser. Um, she had a fiancé who was an atheist, was real upfront about that, but came to church to do his fiancé a favor. So he showed up. Uh, on Sunday, she was seeking, um, got to know them, and would go to lunch with them periodically. Um, she had incredible questions. It's nothing like sitting down with someone who's spiritually seeking and just, you know, hearing their authentic questions. It kind of, you, you learn, you know, as they freshly look at the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they were asking me if I would do their wedding. And I said, well, um, there's a bigger question here on the table than the wedding. And that is, who do you think God is? And what do you think about the person of Jesus? So can we talk about that first? And then we'll come back to the wedding. And uh, she's like, I'm really interested. He's not so much, you know. So I, I explained the gospel, and then I turned to him and I said, well, what do you think about Jesus? And uh, he said, well, I just want to be open-minded. You know, I want to be open to other ideas and other philosophies. And I think he's great, but, I, you know, I just don't want to, like, narrow it down. And I said, as far as I know, there's not another fiancé, there's not another woman, right? They all chuckled, you know, like, you guys are getting married to just one, one girl, right? Yeah. So you've narrowed it down to one. Yeah. So if, it, if it's important to you in a marriage that you narrow it down to one girl, I would submit who God is is an even greater question worth narrowing down. And he kind of looked at me and was like, never thought about it like that. Um, I would have never gotten to that point if I hadn't asked questions. If I hadn't kind of moved the obstacles out of the way, try to get Christ on the table, understand, sympathize, and so along the way, I said things like, you know, yeah, open-minded. I, I think we should be open-minded. I think there's truth in many places. But there's one definitive revelation of, of God, and it's in the person of Christ. And you guys know that about me, right? You, you've heard my sermons. So I think it's good you hear me quote philosophers, you know, lit- literature books. Like, yeah, let's be open-minded. But there are some things in life worth being really narrow-minded about when it comes, you know, when the rubber meets the road. And I see you doing that here in this marriage I'd submit God's bigger than your marriage. And you probably ought to consider that. Um, another guy in our church did their wedding, and um, they both came down and co- took communion probably two or three months ago. And everybody was crying because they knew that communion meant conversion. And uh, so they, they turned to Jesus and are following him. And it's great. 
uh, it requires a long road of questions, spending time, clearing away the obstacles, and really listening to people's objections. So, any counsel here as we close in for pastors or Christian leaders in particular on this? Uh, I think you need to model it. Imperfectly is fine. You know, I'm, I don't have the gift of evangelism, but I do the work of evangelist. You know, like Paul said to Timothy. So, um, don't just hole up in the study. You know, um, come out into the street, ask these questions, bring people along. You know, people that you're discipling, leaders that you're developing. Um, when you have a pastoral appointment with a non-Christian or someone who's seeking or, you know, in your life, uh, in your neighborhood, invite people into your home that are Christians and non-Christians at the same time and have those conversations in front of them and see where it goes. It's great, you know? That's some of the best discipleship possible, you know? So I think uh, as pastors, just, you know, being intentional to, to have... We're, right now, my wife and I have been praying for a new layer of non-Christians in our lives. We've, had, we've kind of run dry, like, all the people that we've met that have, like, considered the gospel or, you know, come to Christ or, you know what? And we, so we've been praying. My wife texted me. She said, uh, I met a new, new lady in the neighborhood. She loves sewing, connected on a hobby. It's okay to do things you love. Just do them with non-Christians, right? Don't form a Christian sewing club. Do this, the sewing in the city, you know? Don't form a, a Christian softball league. Join the, the city softball league. Meet non-Christians. Be intentional. Bring others along, you know? So, Would you close us in prayer? Yeah, I'd love to. Father, thank you for sending your son um, into this world and for all of his profound suffering on our behalf. Thank you for his mighty resurrection, his rippling power to defeat sin, death, and evil in order to make all things new. Lord, wake us up to the beauty, the majesty, the grace of this gospel over and over again. I pray for anyone that's listening um, that they might be uh, stirred to uh, share, proclaim, teach, counsel this remarkable gospel of God making all things new in Christ. And I pray that people would be encouraged that they would be emboldened to share the good news of Jesus in a believable way with people in their life. In Jesus' name, amen.